big show tonight, Late Kick on the Air. It is Sunday night, January 10th, year of our Lord, 2021, on the eve of the national championship game going down this time tomorrow night, Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. It's Bama, it's Ohio State, and if you haven't gotten your fill on that game already, or even if you just think you have, this will be your show tonight. We're going biggest keys for each team. We're going biggest questions in the game entirely, and we're talking about the game from pretty much every angle imaginable. We may even make some up that you haven't heard before. So we've got it wall-to-wall here. We've got a jam-packed show, as you would expect. Expect nothing less on the eve of the national championship game. Now, as you can tell, I am still not in the studio. We planned on being live in the studio tonight. Um, As it turns out, we'll be live in the studio Tuesday night. Had a little bit of a hang-up. Here's what's been going on. I've talked to some of you privately, but I haven't really made this public. Um, It's not a huge deal. I've had COVID for the last week. Has not been fun. I was not asymptomatic, to say the least. I've lost 16 pounds. Uh, Several members of my family have had it. As of this moment, everyone's okay. So a lot of you have checked up on us. I appreciate that Uh, more than you know. We appreciate that more than you know. So getting over that, um, trying to be in the studio Tuesday night. I mean, that's pretty imperative. It is the national championship game wrap. So we're going to try to be there. Uh, Director Colin and I have taken not a, a literal blood oath, but kind of one of those digital blood oaths, you know, where you just kind of draw a red dot on your phone instead of actually doing it the old-fashioned way. So we're going to be there uh, Tuesday night to talk about whatever Monday night brings us. So I'm looking forward to finally being back in the studio and talking to you. Also, another little housekeeping note before we dive in. And when I say dive in, I mean, we are diving deep on this game tonight. Uh, One more thing that I wanted to say. So uh, many of you, not some of you, many of you have asked me about the Auburn coaching staff hires or Carolina or Texas or LSU. A lot of coaching staffs being put together. A lot of moves are being made. And you're asking, like, where are those videos at? Penn State has a new offensive coordinator. Just hold tight. You haven't missed anything. I haven't done, aside from the Sarkeesian hire, I haven't really done a deep dive on a lot of these new hires. That's that's intentional. I want to let the dust settle on some of this. Uh, For the record, I don't think we're done seeing moves in the college coaching world. So um, whatever ellipses are to you, it sounds like a spaceship to me, but it's really just dot, dot, dot on the end of a sentence. That's where the coaching moves are right now. It's a dot, dot, dot situation. And so uh, after we get out of the dot, 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 and we just make one of those dots a period, and it's done, then we're going to talk about it in totality. Expect that to happen later this week after the national championship dies down. But in the meantime, obviously, we got a huge matchup. I mean, those of you, those of us who love this sport, you get these matchups, Alabama, Ohio State, for example. Last time these teams played was 2014. It was a semifinal game. So these teams... Playing in a national championship game, you know, for all these folks who run around talking about how it's the same teams in the title game every year, and they're using this year as an example, well, when in the world's the last time I saw Bama-Ohio State in a national championship game? I don't know. Well, I do know. I haven't seen them. That's what I know. I have not seen this pairing. So it's a really big deal. Talked about the other night, the the element that's on the table. It's the North-South thing. It's the Big Ten SEC thing. But I think that there are a lot of people in the South who view Ohio State as an equal. When I say equal, I don't mean every Alabama fan looks at the Buckeye program and says, ooh, they're as good as us. I don't think that. I don't think Alabama looks around and thinks anyone is as good as them. And I don't blame you. What I'm saying is there are a lot of qualities about that program at Ohio State that resemble how serious You guys down in the South take football. I grew up in the South, so I'm of you. Like, I've been among you my whole life. But I go back to the preseason. Before we start on this game, I just want to say one more time, the preseason, Ohio State, Justin Fields, for example, Clemson deserved a lot of credit here, and Trevor Lawrence. Players, 
and parents of players in the Big Ten went a long, long way, much further than any nameless, faceless bureaucrat in some administrative role went in getting this season off the ground. So I, and I know a lot of you listening and watching right now, we appreciate it. I don't know necessarily how far that goes, but I just wanted to put it out there. We appreciate it. So let's dive into this. What are the biggest keys for Ohio State to win this game? Not contend, not hang in there, to win the football game. Well, the first thing that has come to my mind throughout the entirety of looking at this game is they need to stay on schedule offensively. Now, don't misunderstand me. Sometimes when I say that, I'll say it about a team like Northwestern, for example, where they have to be first and 10, second, five, third and two. It's almost like a service academy mentality of we know we're running the ball 98% of the time, so got to stay ahead of the chains, can't be getting behind the chains. Well, the reason you say it about teams like that is obvious. They don't possess the explosive nature in their passing game to dig themselves out of those holes consistently. Now, that's not Ohio State, and that's not what I mean when I say it about them. Justin Fields can throw the ball about 115 yards on a rope. He's got multiple All-American caliber wide receivers, good presence at tight end to bail him out. And Alabama's pass defense is not the best in the world. And so I, I don't mean it like that. What I mean is, again, think about the challenge that's at hand. This is not a situation where you're playing someone you can afford to throw away multiple possessions against. You've also still got a guy named Nick Saban who's very good at combos and mixing coverages on third down and giving you some of those good old-fashioned exotic looks. Here's the thing. You could torch them on uh, the first third and 12 you face in the game, it could go for 27 yards. And then you could face on the same drive, uh, third and 13, and it goes for 14 yards and you move the sticks again and you start to feel like you're getting in a rhythm. It's all a percentages game. Knowing you got to answer every series, it's all a percentages game. And eventually one of those safeties spills down in that seam alley. And all of a sudden you got a pick, you got a ball in the air that really is born through being behind the sticks and being in an obvious passing down. Balance is very, very key for Ohio State in this game. Not necessarily something you're going to see on the stat sheet either. It's great, you know, if you could look at the stat sheet and say, man, we ran for 250 and threw for 250, and look at that, that's perfect balance. Well, mathematically it is, but really all you need to achieve, if you're Ohio State here, all you need to achieve is making them think anything could be coming on the next play. If you've achieved that and that alone, then that's balance. So you can't let guys like Will Anderson and guys like Christian Barmore wreck you. And if you're in a critical amount of third and longs, second and longs even, they can. And they can change the game. And the problem there, well, what could be a problem there, we'll see how the game plays out, is uh, Mac Jones and Justin Fields, if you look at them comparatively, QBR, I mean, you know, they're right there at the top of the country on standard passing downs. But when you start to mix the element of pressure in, Mac Jones is still there. He's one of, if not the best, against pressure in the country at the quarterback position. Justin Fields has not been that this season. He's got the capability. He hasn't been that so far this season. And so you obviously ramp up the potential for pressure, the more pass rushing specialist types you have on the field in obvious passing downs. Here's another key for Ohio State. Now, I don't know how you go about this. Could do it a number of different ways. I think they need to steal one possession each half. So get me two extra possessions somehow in this game. That sounds like forcing turnovers, and that's the easiest way to steal a possession, obviously. I mean, it's kind of a net two possession because you take one from them and you get one more yourself. But you don't always have to force a turnover in order to steal a possession. You could uh, onside kick. I mean, you could steal a possession that way. I've seen several games this year. Uh, Ole Miss was a perfect example of a team that played Alabama really close. I mean, they were going up and down the field on them. I thought they should have started onside kicking attempting in the late, latter portions of the third quarter when it became obvious 
Alabama was rendering your entire strategy for standard kickoffs moot because they were already out to midfield by the second or third play of the next series. I mean, there was the risk reward that you're normally calculating in your mind for attempting an onside kick. Alabama skews it. I mean, if they're in one of these zones that they tend to find themselves in in most every game they play where it doesn't matter what you throw at them. I mean, they're at least getting to midfield. I mean, their drives seem to start at midfield. It's what what's the risk? What's the risk? I mean, you're what getting an extra 25 yards that they're going to shave off in two or three plays. Go ahead and attempt the onside kick. I don't know why more teams haven't done it this year. I do know. I just wish they'd have a special playbook or a special mentality that they coach with against Alabama, even though that's not how you're brought up. That's not how you're trained to coach the game. You play every game and opponent like they're a lifeless, faceless opponent, and you're just playing to a standard. That's great. You also have to be smart enough and tactical enough to realize each opponent is different, and this opponent's not like one you've faced before. So if it takes that, if it takes an extra onside kick attempt, if going for it on fourth down in your own territory, if that's something you have to do, if faking a punt or two is something you have to do, do it. Do it. The worst that could happen is it doesn't work out and Alabama's got good field position. I got news for you. They're going to have it regardless of whether you give it to them or not at certain times in a game. So steal one possession each half. And then thirdly, you need to make Mac Jones move around. Now, I just read you a stat earlier. I can't remember exactly what the number is, but it's probably one or two. Mac Jones QBR against pressure. He's very good. He's very good. He is not a mobile threat. And so I think a lot of folks look at the element of quarterback and they think to themselves, and they're partially right, you know, if he were to face Trevor Lawrence, if he were to face Justin Fields like he's going to do Monday night, well, Alabama's got the disadvantage there because they don't have the mobile quarterback. Well, it hadn't hurt him all year. The reason it hasn't hurt him is because mobility at the quarterback position is not the paramount skill that you want that quarterback to have with his legs. It certainly helps. But all you really need that quarterback to do, especially in Steve Sarkeesian's offense with all those weapons and that offensive line, what you need your quarterback to be able to do is stay on his feet and to be very, very good at extending plays in the pocket. If you're good at that, they don't really care if you can run low four fives once you get out of the pocket and you start scrambling. That's great. That's how Joe Burrow, for example, did it last year. Uh, That's how Justin Fields can operate. That's how Trevor Lawrence can operate. But man, yards are yards. And so if you pick them up by scrambling seven yards to your left to buy a drag route time to come open over the middle and you get 19 yards off that versus a 19-yard quarterback scramble, well, guess what they're doing? They're moving the chains, and they're giving you a fresh set of downs either way. And so Mac Jones is very good at that. What I'm talking about is making him move and changing his launch point entirely, not just moving a couple of steps here, a couple of steps there in the pocket, but allowing Alabama, by and large, to keep the launch point the same. I mean, collapsing that pocket from the inside with, hopefully, your healthy and ready-to-go interior defensive lineman against maybe a vulnerability for the Alabama offensive line at center and Chris Owens for Landon Dickerson. You start doing that stuff, and I think it's the biggest key for Ohio State in this game, to be honest with you. If that interior pressure is more so than maybe we all expect it to be, and it's a factor in its presence early on in this game, then all of a sudden, you don't have Mac Jones just moving around in the pocket, stepping up in the pocket, buying himself another fraction of a second. You got him on the run. You're shaving the field in half, depending on which way he runs. You're taking maybe some of the best receivers in the country out of the game on that specific play. And you start doing that several times, a critical number of times, that could be actually how you steal a possession or two. I mean, that's playing defense to steal a possession. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of what they call football, but that could be a way that you end up stealing some possessions from Alabama. So those will be the three things that I'm largely watching for Ohio State here. They do those or maybe just a number of those, a small combination of those. They got a good chance to win this game. 
about Alabama? Keys for Alabama here. What are the biggest keys for Alabama to win the national championship on Monday night against Ohio State? Well, I think they first off need to look at doing, to their credit, what they did to start the Notre Dame game. Uh, Most of you probably haven't gone back and watched that game a ton. Maybe some of you Alabama fans have. What did you notice when they first started that game? Uh, It was a game that was never going to be in doubt, as it turns out. But what they did is they got multiple receivers involved very early on. It ended up being another star-studded performance for guys like Devontae Smith. But to start the game, they got Forrestal involved. They got Billingsley involved. Jalen Waddell could be back in this game. And now we're talking about the key for this game. You get him involved. John Mechie is a constant threat. Najee Harris, extremely adept as a pass catcher out of the backfield. And then you got a guy like Slade Bolden that also got involved early. When you get those guys involved, I mean, those are, what, one, two, three, four, I think I named like six or seven guys. Then Devontae Smith is added into the equation instead of being leaned on to catch 15 or 17 balls in order to win a game. And he can do it, don't get me wrong, but when you start varying the tempo early on like Alabama's known to do and you also start some diversity in your receiving core early in the game, that's how you get to the end of the first quarter and you look at the quickie stat sheet they hand out in the press box and it says, wow, man, Alabama's already got five receivers with at least one reception. That's a good sign. That's a really good sign. If you can pull that off and Alabama, not only can they, I mean, they have done it all year. So really, I'm not asking them to do anything they haven't already done. Second thing on defense for Alabama, they need to affect Justin Fields, which is a very generic statement and it's what you want to do in every game anyway. There is a specific reason in this game And if you're trying to look at matchups, you're trying to find an edge. Uh, Statistically, you're trying to find an edge. It's not in standard downs. In standard downs, you know, in other words, when things are happening the way they're supposed to and the down and distance looks like it's supposed to, there's not a quarterback, there's not a huge quarterback edge one way or the other here on standard downs. I, I know you may like the athleticism of Justin Fields more, or you may like the cerebral nature of Mac Jones more. The point is, if you were to have to offer me one, or you and I were drafting, I just say, hey, take your pick. I'll take the one that's left over. I'd be fine either way. However, there is one area, as I've talked about already in this show, there is one gap, and that is pressure downs. QBR on pressure downs. When there is actual pressure applied, Mac Jones is still fine. I mean, he's one of the best in the country on standard. He is the best in the country as far as I've seen, and the numbers back it up, when pressured. Justin Fields has not been that this year. And so how many times can you make him feel you? Just impacting or pressuring the quarterback, that's really all you need. Because, I mean, a lot of times uh, folks will look at a stat sheet and they'll think, well, how many sacks did you have? That's really indicative of how much pressure you got. Well, let me ask you something. What's better? Is it better to sack the quarterback or to affect the quarterback? I know that sounds like a trick question. It's really not, though. I mean, what would you rather have happen? So it's first. let's say it's first and 10, and you sack Justin Fields. And so now it's second and 15. Would you rather have that or would you rather have affected him? And you may be thinking, well, I'd I'd rather sack him. Well, that's cool, but I didn't tell you what the outcome of you affecting him was. What if you affected him and you made him step up in the pocket and then you kind of brushed by his right arm, but it was enough to throw the trajectory of a pass off and it gets tipped in the air by Christian Harris and then into the waiting arms of Brian Branch. It's an interception, gets returned for 20 yards and a touchdown. Well, all of a sudden, 
the affecting the quarterback is a lot more than sacking the quarterback, as it turns out. And so I'm not predicting that, although if it happens, I absolutely will claim I did. But I can assure you on the Ohio State side of things, they are going to be very liberal with their amount of deep shots taken against you. They've watched the same film a lot of us have. Alabama's secondary can be vulnerable. It can be had in the middle. They can be had deep, and Ohio State's going to test that as they should. They got the arm strength and talent at quarterback, and they got the depth at wide receiver and the speed to do that. On your end, because you know that's coming, you're going to have opportunities to not only you know get hands on Justin Fields and maybe hit Justin Fields, but you're going to have a chance to affect him. Those are longer developing plays. Ohio State's got a very good offensive line. Alabama's got some pretty good pass rushers, especially on those types of downs. Affect him. Affect him, and you force maybe errant throws, or you at least force throws to be made in a tighter window where you up your percentage, maybe even just 3 or 4% on a given play of forcing a turnover. And you know when you score like Alabama scores, doesn't take a lot of it. If you can just steal one possession on your end through affecting the quarterback, that could be all it takes. And that's not even to talk about the potential, I won't say injury risk. I mean, whatever's happening with Justin Fields is happening, but you got to find out what he's got early in the game. Find out, you know, a play breaks down. He's in a situation where he'd normally run and dive and fall forward for a first down. How does he handle himself? At that point, it won't be about what a doctor's told him he could do. It won't be about, you know, what he's been shot up with or anything like that. It'll just be about instinct. The player's instinct, in this case, Justin Fields' instincts, how he handles himself, that'll tell you, if you're an Ohio State fan or an Alabama fan, everything you need to know. Third thing for Alabama, big key here, they got to let their horses run. And I don't have any concern about them doing that. But sometimes I've watched in national championship games in the past, it's always boggled my mind. A team that's good enough to get to a championship game all of a sudden thinks they have to change their formula to win. And what got them there is not good enough once they get there. And so you'll watch teams overthink the room and you'll you'll see an offensive coordinator, for example, think that just because I've got all these plays on my play sheet, I got to call all of them. And so you got a superstar wide receiver on the field and you got an all pro future, all pro caliber running back on the field. And instead you're throwing to like the fourth option at receiver on a critical third down. And he drops the ball because he's the fourth option at wide receiver on a critical third down. I've seen that stuff happen. You've seen it happen. Devonte Smith is the best player in college football. Let him run. Najee Harris is the best running back in college football. Let him run. Jaleel Billingsley is a freak of an athlete at tight end. Reminds me a lot of what O.J. Howard did in a championship setting several years back against Clemson, actually two years in a row against Clemson. Could have Billingsley do the exact same thing here. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if we looked up, and that's a guy who had four receptions for 170 yards because there's so many guys you have to defend that someone like him could leak free. Let the horses run. If Alabama does that, I'd feel very comfortable in just knowing because they let their best players win their game, they ended up winning their game. And let me tell you, when you've got a talent roster as deep as really both of these teams do, I'm not selling Ohio State short at all. I follow recruiting just like you guys do. I know good and well how good they are. The beauty of it is when you get to this level, and there are only a few teams at this level, when you get to this level, um, some people can overcomplicate things, and it certainly is a complex game, but really you could break it down like I just did. You got the best players in the world, just let them go play. I mean, if you told them only that, they could probably formulate their own game plan in about 15 minutes with each other and take your headset off. You can just sit there and cross your arms and watch, and they'd be pretty darn good. So those are the biggest keys there for Alabama. Now, this part, this part's not really specific to one team or the other team. 
It's just some things that as I was driving home to uh, Nashville from Columbus last night, and I mean late last night, I was thinking about, you know, what are the biggest questions if I could have these answered, you know, that I would go a long way in knowing what the outcome is going to be here without knowing the final score, obviously. So these are my biggest questions for the national championship game, Ohio State versus Alabama. Let's get into it. First off, I want to know what's carried over for Ohio State. A lot of folks in Buckeye Nation who watched the regular season, you know that you just peaked at the right time against Clemson. Uh, You actually did against the Tigers what they normally do to other teams. Well, you turned that trick on them. And it was beautiful to watch if you're not a Clemson Tiger fan. So what carries over from that game? You know, I've seen time and time again teams that'll play loose in the regular season or maybe loose in one particular setting because you have that kind of back-against-the-wall-nothing-to-lose mentality. Well, then all of a sudden you win, and it takes a little while, but then all of a sudden it sets in. Like, the gravity of the situation makes itself apparent, and all of a sudden you're aggravated because you're watching that team the following week in the regular season, or maybe you're watching them in a bowl setting or in a championship setting, and you're saying, wait a second, why, why are we so tight? in this game. Man, we were so loose. Remember that other game? We were so loose. Why are we so tight here? So that's the biggest skill. That's the biggest coaching point for Ryan Day. I'm certainly not telling him anything he doesn't already know, and I don't think he's watching the show tonight, so it's irrelevant. That's the biggest key here. If he does nothing more than bottles up what they had against Clemson from an intangible standpoint and opens that jar up and pours it onto the field Monday night in Miami, if he only does that, then the rest should take care of itself. Because there's something that we've talked about with Ohio State. It's called being in ascension mode. Again, I've referenced Clemson in the past as having done that. Clemson has had a season, for instance, like the one in 2016, where they lost a regular season game. They had several more close, one-possession type squeakers. But yet, if you watched them play Alabama in the national championship that year, you, you would look at that team and say, man, if that team had played in the regular season, they would have won every game by 50. Like, what's the deal here? Well, that's called ascension mode. That's a team that all of a sudden starts to rapidly climb at the right time. Ohio State, we only have a one-game sample size, so we don't know if that's what's happening here or if we had a perfect storm uh, present itself in the semifinal game. But if they are in ascension mode, and you'll know early on, uh, teams teams don't come out flat in ascension mode. I can assure you of that. So we'll know it early on. And if they are, forget about a point spread. Forget about what records have said this year, how many games you played and how many games they played. All that stuff's out the window. You're going to have a four-quarter knife fight. So what has carried over for Ohio State from last game to this game? Second question, what are we going to get out of guys like Jalen Waddell and LeBron Ray for Alabama? LeBron Ray, I'll, I'll go in reverse here. LeBron Ray, Alabama fans know who he is, but he's been a guy that's had several injuries throughout his career. You know, he is a guy that Nick Saban earlier this season called one of their most irreplaceable assets defensively. Well, they lost him uh, to, a, to a kind of a weird injury. It's like no one really knew what happened to him. And so he is practicing and looks to be able to play on Monday night. I don't know how much he's going to be able to play, but I'll be really interested because, hey, that's a really good defensive piece. And it's important to note, he didn't have a lower extremity injury. So it's not a guy coming back from a knee injury or something like that. And so his wheels should be good. I don't know what kind of shape cardiovascular-wise he'll be in. Like, I don't know what kind of pitch count they may have him on, but he could make a difference there. Jalen Waddell is a guy who had a lower extremity injury, and it's been sort of a running joke around the Alabama program for about a month and a half or two months now of when when is he going to come back? Are they gearing him up? Do they have a big Sharpie circle in red on a calendar that's the national championship game? Are they just making sure that he rehabs on a trajectory that will get him back for that game? 
Well, I mean, if I had to place money, I'd say Jalen Waddle is going to be on the field in some capacity Monday night. Now, I think what we're all waiting to see is, I mean, is he out there as some kind of decoy? I know that's kind of been a popular talking point over the past week leading up to the game. Or, I mean, are they going to go to him first play of the game? Are they going to hit him on a smoke screen or maybe quick slant over the middle? Jalen Waddle, 27 yards after the catch, and then all of a sudden, you know, he pops up, gives the first down signal, and you go, "Uh uh-oh, he's back. He's a little more back than I thought he'd be. So that's just kind of interesting to see. Same thing goes for Ohio State for kind of different reasons. I know they had some guys that were banged up in the game against Clemson, but really what we're focused on here, and you kind of been focused on all year if you're an Ohio State fan, is who is going to be announced as starting, as available, and as out about an hour or two before kickoff. Like which players are going to be able to go and which ones because of COVID-related reasons or contact tracing aren't able to go. And I know, uh, you know, a lot of focus, rightfully so, is on the interior. Well, just really the defensive line. Um, and there have been, you know, rumors back and forth about who tested positive, who had a false positive. You know, it's just impossible to know because there's only really a precious few people who do know. And in lieu of, you know, Ryan Day texting me about this overnight, I'll probably find out with you guys on the morning of or the afternoon of the game. But I mean, it's important for obvious reasons. But the real thing I think about is, Ohio State recruits so that they can have depth to withstand injuries or personnel losses of any kind. I don't think about that. I don't think that if we have a certain number of guys that are announced as being out tomorrow night, I don't. I won't think necessarily right off the bat, oh, that means they're going to lose. No, that's not it, man. Ohio State's plenty good enough. And so if as long as Justin Fields' name's not on that list, they, they should be okay. Trey Sermon's not on that list. They should be okay. What I'm looking at is, all right, how vulnerable does that make you once this game starts to losing guys just for game-related reasons. You know, if a guy twists his ankle, I mean, if a guy catches a cramp, who is his backup? And if the guy who's on the field catching the cramp is already a backup, how many critical areas could you be down to a number three being on the field? Because Alabama is lethal at exposing that stuff. They're lethal at going after your starters to begin with. But if you've got an area of sustained vulnerability where you got a prolonged situation where one of their ones is against one of your threes, uh, that's going to be exposed. I mean, they will dissect it and go after it like an assassin because that's exactly what they do. So immediately, you know, when you hear those names announced, who's starting and who's not, you pull out your trusty Ohio State depth chart and you check out, all right, now how vulnerable are they? How thin is the layer of sand on top of this roster at this particular position group? And how deep do you have to dig before you would get into real trouble there? Just something to keep an eye on during the game. Which one of these offenses blinks early? Now, in this case, it could just mean which one of them doesn't score at least three on a drive. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about uh, something that I guess would be kind of unforeseen. If one of these offenses has a really early three and out, and then the next series looks shaky, you've gone two series in a row uh, in a game that you figure to need to score pretty much every drive, or at least you know be moving the ball every drive, and put yourself in a position to challenge, well, then you get a little unsure of yourself and everyone else on the other sideline tastes blood in the water. I mean, it's it's really not even metaphorical. <laughs> that's quite literally what they see from that press box and that's what they see from the field level. So uh, will there be one of these offenses that takes a little while longer to get it in gear? Is, is one of these defenses capable of giving maybe some unique looks, some unique pressure? Uh, does something break down along an offensive line early? Do you have maybe a key injury early? Is there a guy you thought would start that doesn't start that ends up providing a bigger vulnerability offensively for one of these units than previously thought? Just watch that early because 
I'm not saying if you grab a 14-0 lead, this game's over, but obviously if that happens, then you force one of these teams into the very unfamiliar role of having to play catch-up. I mean, think about that. When is the last time you watched Ohio State this year having to play catch-up a majority of a game? Early against Clemson they did, and they did a fine job of it, but otherwise, when's the last time you watched that this year? When's the last <laughs> I know the answer to this. When's the last time you watched Alabama have to do that? They did it against Georgia one time. I think that's about it. And that was a situation where you were facing uh, Stetson Bennett, and there was not exactly the overwhelming threat of the opposing team pulling away from you. So there was time. You know, Ohio State trailed Northwestern, but they always knew once we yawn enough and get the sleep out of our eyes, we can fly past them. And you did. How about uh, Ohio State's defensive line, Alabama's offensive line? I told you in our keys section, and I've talked about it all week, I think the single biggest matchup, the single most important matchup in this game is the Ohio State defensive line against the interior here, the interior of the Alabama O-line. When Landon Dickerson went down, their Remington award-winning center, when he went down against Florida, there were two reactions. Nationally, you know, people who aren't die-hard Alabama fans, they probably watched that and said, Oh, one of their five All-American caliber offensive linemen is down. Well, okay. I mean, they still got the rest of them. I'm sure it's Alabama. They recruit well. They've got good depth. They'll be fine. And that was the national perception. I can tell you right now that was not the perception in Tuscaloosa. Uh, they know, even as, even as deep as you are, even as good as you recruit, there are certain pivot points. There are certain hinge points on your roster where you know you can ill afford to lose a guy, maybe more so than other positions. And center is a position like that for them. Now, uh, having said that, Chris Owens is a guy who feels like he's about 27 years old. He's been there forever, so he's got a lot of experience. He is a quality reserve, but if you're looking at a heat map and your best players are in green and your most vulnerable players are yellows or reds, that is an area of this heat map matchup where if I'm looking at ours, I, we do these sometimes, I have got a bunch of green touching a bunch of yellow for Ohio State versus Alabama there. And what that is, is again, it's the interior of the Ohio State defensive line right up against an unproven center against high-level competition. Chris Owens is serviceable. He is not a Remington Award winner. And so all that does is it puts the possibility on the table of one of two things happening. Either Chris Owens has the game of his career and ends up you know, being a hero in Tuscaloosa for stepping in when he needed to and uh, fueling a national championship win by keeping Mac Jones clean, or... Ohio State is able to consistently disrupt from the interior. When you think about these games, when you think about affecting the quarterback, most of the time your head goes to edge rushers and pass rush from the edge. That's typically where the mind goes. That's not always the way it has to happen. And in a situation like this, it's even more fortuitous if you're Ohio State knowing the strength of this Alabama offense and the need to move the launch point for Mac Jones in order to interrupt that well, you'd rather get pressure on the interior. You'd rather collapse that pocket from the interior. You know, it doesn't matter if you've got a bunch of Chase Youngs on the outside. you got those cats you have on the inside. If they're healthy and they're able to play and you've got the vulnerability there that you think you may have and that's a matchup advantage, go after it. Go after it all day. And here's the final question I have. When are the strides hit? So these games, sometimes they come out and it is uh, immediate fireworks. Other times, it's kind of choppy early on. You have some early jitters, nerves, whatever you want to call them, teams feeling each other out. There are a lot of really good athletes on the field. You know, sometimes a funny thing happens when you just expect that a defense that maybe statistically isn't great but has a lot of great athletes on the field, when you think they're just going to get run over from bell one, sometimes it doesn't happen. 
sometimes when you got really good players on the field, they tend to, you know, push back a little bit. So when are the strides going to get hit in this game? Because there's going to eventually come a point. In fact, I'd be very surprised if this point didn't come where there are going to be a lot of points being traded. Okay. Does that happen early? Is it 14 to 14 at the end of the first quarter or is it nine to three at the end of the first quarter and it's been kind of shaky and then you know the team that's already up is in the red zone again and obviously one strides being hit but the other isn't do we have a game that starts like that or do we have a game where it's just trading points the whole way and when we do eventually get to that point how deep in the game are we how long does it take before we reach that point now that's probably critical as much for a totals better as it is for you know which team's going to win the game Having said that, you don't want to get down 20 to 3 before you hit that stride. So those are some questions that I will be focused on. Uh, this is going to be a great game, man. It's going to be a really, really great game. There is a ton of pride in these programs. These are supreme alpha programs. Always, I'll take these matchups for 100 years. A lot of you claim that you want to see a Cinderella make this game. That's fine. I prefer the big dogs to make this game. I love watching this. I could watch this all day, twice on Sunday, three times on Monday. And as it turns out, that's when we're playing this game, Monday night. So make sure you're following me on Twitter, at LateKickJosh. I'll have a lot to say there, and we'll have our full live reaction show on Tuesday night. We appreciate, as always, you guys tuning into the show. As I said, we hope to be back in the studio Tuesday night. So, hey, normalcy right around the corner. Well, at least as far as Late Kick is concerned. So until then, let's all enjoy the game together on Monday night. Again, at Late Kick Josh on Twitter. If you want to kind of follow that game along with me, I'll be watching it uh, hunker down in the 24-7 sports offices. And so that's where I'll be. Don't know what I'm ordering to eat, but that's where I'll be. For Director Colin, for Producer Jordan on the podcast side, I'm Josh Pate. Have a great Monday. Enjoy the national championship game. I'll talk to you Tuesday night. Until then, God bless.